Good morning, College Park. Hope that you guys are uh, doing well today and uh, enjoying the new worship space. And uh, we've had a blast already with our first service this morning and just uh, experiencing how the Lord is meeting us here in this space. And uh, so I hope that you guys are enjoying just being in this new school and, uh, and all what that means. Also wanted to thank you for those of you who participated in giving uh, to the Christmas offering this year to uh, the Brookside Ministries. I uh, just wanted to update you on, uh, on the total so far, and then, uh, and then also just sh- uh, share some, pa- some facts about the Christmas offering. So the total between our campus and the North Indy main campus is over $1,097,836. So let's give the Lord just a, yeah, thanks for that. And thank you for your, uh, your obedience and your generosity uh, in that. Uh, this is now the fourth consecutive year uh, that College Park Church has been over a million dollars with the Christmas offering. And, uh, and so the Christmas offering is something that we do every year, and uh, we send that money as a gift to uh, help reach unreached people groups around the world. And then every four years, we uh, gift that money to uh, local outreach uh, ministries, and this year it was Brookside. A couple other facts for you in case uh, you want to know uh, some things about the Christmas offering. This is our 21st year uh, giving the Christmas offering since 1996. And so if you were here in 1996, you would remember that that year's giving was $45,000, okay? So we've grown over the years uh, in our generosity and in our size of our congregation. But the total uh, over the 21 years that College Park has given uh, is $10.7 million to help reach unreached people groups and, and the underserved. And I just want to point out that 40% of that $10.7 million has been given over the last four years. And the reason why I highlight the last four years is because uh, four years ago, we, did, we finished that building campaign at the main campus, and there was lots of um, hesitation to build a large building because shouldn't we use this money to reach unreached people groups? And so we had that slogan of, this is for that, that we're building this building in order to reach unreached people groups, and, uh, and the Lord has met us in that, and with your generosity, uh, we are fulfilling that call. So uh, praise be to God for the ways that he uses the Christmas offering and even for uh, your generosity. And so with that, let me pray and, uh, and we'll dive into our passage this morning. <clears throat> God, we thank you uh, so much for a new day and, uh, and Lord, even for a new uh, worship space. God, we're thankful for uh, the opportunities that we'll have to praise your name in this space. And uh, Lord, thank you for uh, the ways that we can serve by setting up and, and tearing down. But God, we, we confess to you that we set up and we tear down and we put so much effort into this, not just to, to play church, but we do this to glorify your name and to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus. And so we pray even in this moment, God, that you would stir our affections for Jesus by looking at your word, God, that you would move in power through it. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've been uh, at the gym over the last couple of days, you would notice that people's resolutions are in full swing. And uh, it's kind of interesting to notice kind of the trend in uh, the participation at the gym go from really, really high in January, and then it starts to, to level off by spring break. And I remember asking one of my friends who's a, a personal trainer about this trend and, and why this happens. 
And he said, well, it's, it's interesting because we get a lot of, of new memberships to our gym in January. People make New Year's resolutions. They want to make some changes in how they look, get back into shape. But for us, we basically categorize those new memberships into two categories. There's, one, there's a one category where, uh, where some people come to the gym and they experience absolutely no growth throughout the year. Like they've got their membership, but they come and they just kind of socialize and they stare at themselves in the mirror, but they don't stick to their plan and actually make changes and transform their bodies and in getting into shape. And then he said the other group, the second group, they come to the gym and they're motivated, they're dedicated, and they stick to their goals, and they actually see some transformation. And I thought that was really interesting. So I said, what makes the difference? Like, what's, what separates these two groups? And he said, well, it's actually not because both groups fail to see the need to get into shape. I mean, obviously, both people understand they need to work out. But the group that experiences change understands how to change and that they can actually change that they believe that they can actually transform their body. And I thought that was really interesting because sometimes a church can be very similar to a gym. That at church, some people just show up week in and week out, more out of habit and guilt, but they don't experience real change and transformation in their relationship with God. And then you have another group of people that, that they come to church and they're dedicated to the Lord, they're dedicated to the mission, and they understand how to change, and they believe that they can actually change by God's grace, and they see real transformation in their walk with the Lord. And I would say that the real difference is not only understanding how to change and how to grow as a believer, but believing that you can change and grow as a believer, that you don't have to just stay the same. And I love this passage that we're going to look at today in 1 Peter chapter 2 because Peter gives us a picture of what spiritual growth and spiritual maturity actually looks like. That Peter's going to help us to avoid being that type of church attender that just shows up out of habit and guilt and doesn't see any change or transformation. And I love this passage because as I was studying it and reading it, there was something in my heart that said, I want that. I want what, what chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 has to say about longing for the spiritual word of God, that I want to be transformed this year. Like I was just interacting with God, just saying, God, I don't want to be the same Chris Beals as he was in 2016. I want to change, and I want to take steps forward in 2017. And my prayer is that you would have that same desire is that you would look at your own life spiritually and you would say, yes, I want to change and I want to grow in 2017 as well. And so in fact, we're actually going to have an opportunity at the end of this service as we sing our last song for you to write down just one area of your life that you want to see real change and transformation with and just committing that uh, to the Lord. But in our passage today, we see two different pictures, two different descriptions that, uh, that Peter gives to us. And the first one in verse 1 is a picture of, of being malnourished spiritually, having malnourished behavior. And then verses 2 and 3, Peter describes what mature behavior looks like, what it looks like to be spiritually uh, mature. I just want to highlight that in verse 2, we have our central command that Peter says to long for the spiritual and pure milk. 
So this is now the fourth command that Peter has given us throughout the letter of 1 Peter. But the question that you and I will be confronted with throughout our time this morning is this, is what are you feeding your soul? See, one thing that we understand about this passage, one thing that we clearly see is that your soul has, has cravings, that your soul has longings and yearnings. The question is, is what are you feeding yourself? Are you feeding your soul the things of God or the things of this world? And Peter would say that your behavior will actually show what you're feeding your soul. So let's take a look at the first picture here in verse 1, malnourished behavior. And before Peter supplies a picture of spiritual maturity, he gives to us a picture of being spiritually malnourished. And he says this in verse 1. He says, So put away all malice and all deceits and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, if you look at this verse, you'll see five different things or five vices that Peter lists here. And within kind of this metaphor that Peter is using in our passage of being a newborn infant, Peter first describes behavior that is the result of not feeding your soul the spiritual milk. He's saying that that something happens to your heart and to your actions when you're not feasting and feeding upon the word of God. That because your soul is malnourished, your behavior follows suit. Now, we, we understand this concept physically. Like if you've ever noticed what your behavior is like after you haven't uh, eaten in a while, like if you're anything like me, you, bec- you become a little irritable, your patience uh, starts to become very, very low, and even simple things become really, really difficult. My wife um, calls that being hangry, okay? So you kind of combine the word hungry and anger, and she, uh, she can call me out on that anytime that she wants, but um, even in the, the documentary called Supersize Me, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's this guy who did this experiment where he ate McDonald's three meals a day for 30 days just to see what would happen. And so what happened after the 30 days is he not only developed minor liver damage, he not only had increased cholesterol, but he gained 24 pounds and he experienced intense mood swings. Now, we look at that, we're like, yeah, of course, that makes sense. Like, what you consume physically will impact your behavior. Well, the same is true spiritually. That's something that that Peter is trying to point out for us, that if you become spiritually malnourished, your behavior will actually follow suit. And he lists these five vices because this is the result of not doing verse two, of not being not craving the word of God, verse one will become the reality of your behavior. Now, I want to work through these five vices briefly for us and just, um, just to provide some definition to them. But I want to ask you to, to find the common theme in all five of these vices. There should be something that sticks out to you. Here's number one, malice. <clears throat> that malice is the intention to hurt someone with words or deeds. And deceit, deceit is to gain some type of advantage or preserve some position by concealing or misrepresenting the truth. Hypocrisy is a desire not to be known for what really is. It's an inconsistency between words and actions. 
And then envy, envy is a desire for something that belongs to another with bitterness that another has it and you don't. And then slander is to make false and damaging claims about someone. Now, when you look at that list, is there a common theme that, that sticks out to you? That in all of these attitudes and behaviors, the, the common theme is that they all violate the command to love one another. That this command was first instituted here in our, in our, in our letter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 where Peter says to love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again. And so Peter is continuing to unpack what that means to love one another. And if you move through all five of these vices, they all violate that command to love one another. They all damage relationships. They all damage what it means to be in community with one another. And so one thing that we have to understand about this list is that this is not just a personal and individual struggle when you become spiritually malnourished. See, we tend to think that if I skip out on my time with the Lord and time in reading, that that's only going to impact just me. And yet that's not true at all. See, when you become spiritually malnourished, you're actually impacting the community around you because you're inching closer and closer to what verse 1 describes of being spiritually malnourished. And so it's just a challenge for us that next time that you're tempted to skip out on feeding your soul the Word of God and connecting with, with Him, that there's more on the line than just you, that you will actually impact the relationships that are in your life. And so when you look at this list, I mean, these are pretty heavy things. These are things that we'd say, man, like, I don't want anything to do with those five vices. And so maybe you're, you're sitting there thinking, okay, what does it actually look like to become spiritually malnourished? Like, what are, what are some warning signs that you can um, kind of be aware of to avoid having behavior of verse 1? Well, I just want to point out three of them for us. That number one, you can tell that you're going down the path of becoming spiritually malnourished when, number one, your private time with the Lord has become spotty or inconsistent. That when your time with the Lord is becoming more and more inconsistent, you're inching your way towards becoming spiritually malnourished. Or, if you are spending time with God, you're not walking away with your affections for Him stirred and a desire to know Him more. And, and we don't want to rely on our emotions or feelings with our relationship with God because those come and go. But if you're viewing your time with the Lord more out of duty than desire or more out of something to, to cross off your to-do list rather than something to delight in and something that you want to do, then chances are you're getting closer and closer to becoming spiritually malnourished. A second warning sign for, for us uh, tends to happen when, when we don't have other believers in our lives who are speaking into the spiritual condition of our soul. That when you can't remember the last time that you had someone who lovingly came beside you and, and pointed out an area of your life that you need to grow or change in. The chances are when you're living a life that's more like a lone ranger and no one's speaking into the shape of your soul, chances are you're going down the path of becoming spiritually malnourished because we all have blind spots. 
We all have areas that we can't quite see, and so we need other people to speak into that. And so if you don't have that in your life, then chances are you're becoming spiritually malnourished. Now, number three, the last thing I want to point out uh, of, of warning signs here is that you have pet sins. You have pet sins. What I mean by that is that you have sin in your life, and it might be in the category of just small sins, but you've got sin in your life that you've domesticated and that you're okay with, with it being in your life and you haven't gotten rid of it. And, and you might be keeping it a secret, you might be keeping it hidden, but you might have sin in your life that you haven't gotten rid of or, or put that to death. Chances are you're becoming spiritually malnourished. And so it's just a warning for us to, to think through, man, how, what's the condition of my soul this morning? Would you characterize your soul nourished or, or malnourished? And one of the most consistent areas of my life that the Lord uses to sanctify me is my time in the car. Okay, now it's not because I'm listening to worship music or listening to sermons on the podcast. It's because when I'm driving, my stuff like comes out. Like when I, I know when I'm becoming spiritually malnourished, when I'm driving and I become irritable or impatient with other drivers. And the thing about it for me, though, is that nine times out of ten, I can rarely see that I'm becoming impatient or irritable. Now, this, is, this is like a real blind spot for me that I need someone else to help point that out in my life. And that one person is my wife. So Lindsay tends to point this out in my life. She's riding in the front seat. And all she has to say is this one phrase, and instantly I know that I'm becoming irritable and impatient. She turns to me and she says, well, Pastor Reverend Beals, that was very loving of you to say or to do. And like instantly, like, I know, man, like I need to repent of that in turn because that's hypocritical. Like I can't preach loving others from the pulpit, and yet I'm living me first while I'm driving. And so I need to turn and repent of that but my point is, is that sometimes I don't even know that I'm doing that. Like, because that's a real blind spot, I have to have someone else point that out in a loving way, and instantly I know that I need to turn from that. So my question for you this morning is, do you, do you have people in your life that has permission to speak into the shape of your soul, that has permission to kind of call you out if they see you going down that path of being spiritually malnourished, way before you start committing the things listed in verse 1. Do you have a small group or a Bible study or a discipleship relationship or people that, that know you, that know the triggers in your life where, where they know, man, this is something I'm seeing in your life and I've seen this before. So, so why don't you turn from that? This is one of the reasons why at College Park Fishers, why we, we emphasize and platform small groups so much. That small groups isn't the only form of community, but we love the idea of, of having chairs being in a circle talking about the Word of God rather than just in rows, just hearing the Word of God. And one of the benefits of small group is the fact that you're known and that you know other people. That in small group, it's this, it's this safe environment for you to take off the mask and be real, be, be transparent, because you're with a group of people that believes that we're all in process together, that no one has arrived spiritually, that everyone is working on something, and everyone has things in their life that they need to turn from and repent of. 
We want, we want our small groups here to be safe environments where it's okay not to be okay. And yet, at the same time, we want those environments to be places where we love each other so much not to let each other stay there. Where it's okay not to be okay, but I'm going to love you so much and call you to pursue Jesus and repent from your sin because the path that you're going down is spiritually being malnourished. And so our small groups are a great place to allow other people to speak into the spiritual condition of your soul so that you don't go down the path of verse 1. And so if you're not in a small group this morning, I just encourage you to, to find Dustin Crow, who'll be at the next steps table uh, after this service, and he'll give you all kinds of information about small groups. So now that's the picture of being spiritually malnourished. Now let's look at the picture of what it means to have mature behavior. So what does it look like to grow? What does it look like to mature as a believer? Let's read verses 2 and 3 together. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, Peter continues to play on the theme of the new birth, something that he started in chapter 1, verse 3, by using this metaphor of an infant craving milk. Now, in this metaphor, as Peter refers to believers as, as those who crave the milk, he's not referring to believers who are spiritually immature or believers who are spiritually young. That even though other passages of Scripture like Hebrews 5 and 1 Corinthians 3 uses uh, the language of milk and those that are spiritually young or immature, Peter's not doing that in our passage here. The main reason for that is because Peter has already established the fact that all believers have been reborn and they are children of God. Therefore, we should all be characterized by those who long and crave the milk or the word of God. And so as we move through this metaphor, don't equate those who crave for milk as those who are spiritually immature. But in fact, those who crave the milk are those who should be characterized as all believers and all Christians. So as we look at this picture of spiritual maturity, what I want to do is just highlight and unpack three words in verses 2 and 3. That I want to look at the words taste, long, and grow. That taste is found in verse 3, and then long and grow is found in verse 2. Let's start in verse 3, and I'll explain why in a moment. Peter says that if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You see the word taste in that verse. And the reason why I want to start with verse 3 is because everything that occurs in verse 2 is dependent on verse 3 that if you really have tasted that the Lord is good, then verse 2 will be a reality for your life. Okay, so, so what does it mean to taste that the Lord is good? Well, Peter here is quoting Psalm 34, verse 8. And I just want to encourage you again, if you're looking for a psalm to uh, meditate on or a psalm to uh, commit to memory, strongly encourage Psalm 34 as we walk through uh, 1 Peter this year because Peter is going to continue to go back to Psalm 34. He's going to continue to quote Psalm 34 all throughout 
uh, the book of 1 Peter. So it might be a good idea to, to meditate and even to memorize uh, Psalm 34. So what does it mean when he says to taste that the Lord is good? Well, the tasting of the Lord here refers to conversion. That for those who are followers of Jesus, the, the word of God and the gospel of grace gave us an initial taste of the Lord. That the picture of spiritual nourishment and maturity first starts here. It first starts with actually tasting God's goodness when we first came to Christ in faith. And I think that's a good reminder for us because whenever we talk about conversion or first putting our faith in Christ, we tend to only emphasize having the right facts or information about who Jesus is and not enough emphasis on the experiential component of conversion and what happens when we first taste that the Lord is good. There's actually a, an encounter with the taste buds of our souls when we first come to faith in Jesus, that we taste that he is good. Just think about your own conversion story. Think for a moment about your own time when you first came to faith in Jesus. Do you remember how sweet and, and savory and, and all-satisfying it was to, to experience Jesus in, when you first came to faith in Jesus? Do you remember just how much of a miracle it was that God saved you, that God opened your blind eyes to seeing and tasting that God is good? And I want to emphasize that it, it was a miracle that God saved you. Like it doesn't matter if you were six years old in Awana and God saved you, or if you were an adult and you were knee deep in sin, every time God saves somebody, it is a miracle that we were dead in our sins and God had to resurrect us and give us faith, give us eyes to see the beauty of Jesus in order to taste that he is good. I think failing to understand that that is a miracle that we first tasted that the Lord is good will actually lead us to having our taste buds become callous to God's goodness. See, understanding and even reminding yourself, man, it was a miracle that God saved me because I was a sinner. Uh, understanding that will actually lead you to cherishing the flavor of God's goodness, which will lead you to, to salivating over God all the more. See, understanding that, that we need to remind ourselves to taste God's goodness leads us to what kind of longings we will actually have in our relationship with him. So I want to ask you this morning, have, have you tasted that the Lord is good? Have you come to faith in Jesus? Have you, have you placed your faith upon Jesus? Do you trust him and him alone for your salvation? And maybe you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian and maybe you just kind of wandered in there in here because there's a, a church that's meeting in a school and that was kind of intriguing to you. But maybe you're here and you haven't tasted that the Lord is good. Maybe, maybe you've smelled the Lord's goodness. Or maybe you've seen others taste that the Lord is good, but you personally and individually haven't come to faith in Jesus. I just want to encourage you to, to come to Jesus today. Like, put your faith in him now and taste the all-satisfying Savior that is Jesus Christ. That Jesus demonstrated his great love for you by dying on the cross for your sin, by paying the ultimate penalty for the sin that you committed 
So come to him and taste him because that is what your soul is actually yearning for. Taste him that he is good. And if you want to have a conversation about that, I will be right down here in the front and I would love to talk to you about what it means to place your faith in Jesus and and taste him because he is good. Tasting the goodness and the grace of God, it actually, it whets the appetite of our souls for more of God's goodness. And this actually leads us to having a longing for God, which is the second word I want to highlight for us in verse 2, to long. Now Peter says in verse 2, he says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. I love this verse. See, Peter says that if you really have tasted that the Lord is good, then you will long for the pure spiritual milk in the same way that newborn infants long for physical milk. Now, this is a really fascinating and, and interesting imagery and picture uh, that, that he's supplying for us. And before I unpack that, I want to address what the pure spiritual milk actually refers to. The majority of theologians and uh, commentaries believe that the spiritual milk refers to the Word of God. The main reason for this position is because of the context that Peter, at the end of chapter 1, verses 23 through 25, has just got done unpacking the living and abiding Word of God that remains forever. Just got done saying that this Word that was preached to you And we know that throughout Scripture, the Word of God is the primary means by which we mature and grow as believers. But I want to highlight for a moment that Peter describes the Word here as being pure and spiritual. I thought that was really interesting. Like, why why include those two words to describe the spiritual milk? I think what Peter is getting at here is, is as we long for the word, we want to long for the word that is not watered down. That just as as destructive to the development of a newborn would be for watered down milk, in the same way for us as believers, we can't settle for watered down word, whether it's the preaching of God's word or individually when we're feeding ourselves the word of God. And we need to avoid kind of repackaging the Bible so it's less convicting and less sharp but to come to the word on on the word's terms that is full of conviction and full of encouragement that will stir our affections for Jesus. So we want to come to the word and not try to domesticate it or change it so that it's softer to our ears. So Peter gives this command. He says, long for the word that is pure and spiritual, to crave it like a newborn infant craves for milk. Now, for those of you who are parents, you, you know exactly what this looks like. Like, a, like a, an image and a picture just probably flooded to your mind of remembering your baby craving milk when it was hungry. Like, you remember those babies, like when they're hungry, nothing else matters. Like, they have this relentless pursuit only to be satisfied with milk, and nothing else will suffice. Like, swaddling them won't do it. Like, cooing at them won't do it. Playing with them won't do it. Changing their diaper won't do it. The only thing that will satisfy them when they're hungry is milk. And in the same way, this should be true for us as believers. And so is, is that true for you today? 
But do you crave the word of God in the same way that a newborn infant craves physical milk? Like, do you yearn for this book and believe that nothing else will satisfy the cravings of your soul like the Bible? That TV won't satisfy it. That social media won't satisfy it. Sports won't satisfy it. Getting a few extra minutes of sleep won't satisfy it. The only thing will be the word of God that you were created to long and to be satisfied with the Bible. Does that describe you this morning? Reminded of, a, uh, of an illustration that, that John Piper has used before where he believes that many people relate to God as if he's a tire iron. That a tire iron is, is a really useful instrument, a useful tool, especially in emergencies when you're changing a tire. But no one loves their tire iron. Like no one considers the, their tire iron to be beautiful. Like no one puts it on display in their car. They just kind of hide it in the trunk of their car. And so John Piper would say that, that many people relate to God and even the Bible in the same way. And many people believe that the Bible is useful, but the Bible is not beautiful. That they go to the Bible for emergencies, that like when they need direction or stability or encouragement, the, but the Bible is not a treasure to them. It's not something that they crave and long for and desire. The Bible is not precious to them. Do you see the difference between the Bible being useful and the Bible being beautiful? That the result, if you just view the Bible as useful, it won't lead you to craving and longing for it. But only viewing the Bible as this precious treasure will lead you to craving and longing for it as we should. But maybe, maybe you're sitting there this morning thinking to yourself, man, Chris, if I was really honest with you, like I, I know I should long for the Bible, but, but I just don't. Like I, I, I know this command, like I, I read it clearly, like, like you're communicating it clearly, but, but deep down, I don't, I don't long for the Bible. Like what do I do? And I just want to encourage you, like that, that is a common experience in the Christian life. Like this is even something that I've experienced from time to time of, of knowing that I should crave the Bible, like even as a pastor, but there are seasons and times in my own life where I'm just not longing for, I'm not, not craving it like I should. And so I just want to encourage you with, with just three suggestions of what to do when you're not longing for the word, but you know that you should. And so for me, I, I tend to remind myself uh, of a quote that I came across a few years ago just to, just to remind myself of how much stock to put into feelings and emotions spiritually. So let me, let me read this and then unpack it. It says this, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. That worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. That's always helpful for me just to remind myself of how true that actually is. That as I apply that to my own relationship with the Word of God, that for me to crave the Bible, I have to read the Bible. Like I have to immerse myself in the Bible way before I even feel like reading the Bible. So I think sometimes we, we put too much emphasis on our feelings and our emotions spiritually 
and not enough stock into the commands that God gives us of exercising our will. See, feelings are real, but they can't be authoritative in our relationship with God. And so I first just remind myself of that, and then, and then I go to these three things that, that help me long for the Bible when I don't. Here's, here's number one. Remind yourself of the need for the Word. Remind yourself of the need for the Word, that babies instinctively understand their need and their craving for milk. Like, they don't, they don't need to be taught that. Like, they, they know that they need to feed themselves the Word. And for us, like, we need to be convinced that our greatest need is to be fed with the Word of God. And yet, I really think that this is, this is one of the most popular reasons why many of us never open up the Bible throughout the week. Why many of our Bibles just collect dust day in and day out because we're not fully convinced that we need to be fed with the Word of God every day. That we're not fully convinced that what Jesus said of, of we don't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The psalmist says, I meditate on your law day and night. That for some reason we think we're a little bit better than that, and we're not convinced of our absolute need to immerse ourselves in the word of God. And so are you convinced that you can't go a day without feeding your soul the Bible? Are you fully convinced of that? And so I don't, I don't know what type of strategy that you need to implement to remind yourself of that. I don't know if it's brushing your teeth in the morning. You've got a couple seconds just to kind of look at yourself in the mirror. I just encourage you to like start, start preaching at yourself. Like as you're staring at yourself in the mirror, start talking to yourself saying, saying, Chris, you need the Bible today. Like don't be convinced of anything else. You need to get into the book. Or maybe it's, it's when you're showering or maybe you have a spouse or a friend that can text you or remind you that your greatest need is to study the Bible today and to feed your soul the spiritual milk. That's number one. Number two here, another suggestion if you're not um, yearning for the Bible that you should, is to learn how to feed yourself the word. That even babies need to figure out how to latch on and, and how to feed and I probably know way too much about this since I just completed four weeks of birthing classes. Um, but babies, you know, some babies learn this quicker than others. But the point remains the same, that for us to develop a yearning and a longing for the Word of God, we need to learn to feed ourselves the Word of God. Again, I think this is another popular reason why many of us don't spend enough time in the Bible is because we look at it and we don't know really what to do. That for some of us, we might read a chapter, and then walk away and forget what we read by two o'clock that day, instead of really taking the time and fully immersing ourselves with the right questions and, and Bible study principles to immerse our souls to actually learn and take something from it. Because I guarantee the more that you learn from, it, from, from the things that are in this book, the more that will develop a craving and a longing within you to keep coming back to it. See, when you open up the Bible and you start seeing things and you start learning and it, and it becomes something that's useful for you, something that's beautiful, you will keep coming back to the Word of God. I just want to say, like, I would love to share some of the things that, that I've learned to, in studying the Bible or Dustin Crow or any small group leader 
or elder would love to sit down and just share some Bible study principles in order to be immersed in the Word of God. That's number two. Number three here is to talk about the Word with others. And this doesn't correlate with being a newborn infant, because usually when they're done feeding, they go into a food coma and they're back to sleep. But the reality is, is that we tend to talk about that which we love. Like we t- whatever excites us, like that's what comes out of our mouths. And the more that we talk about what we're learning from the Bible, the more that that not only spurs ourselves on to, to longing for the Bible, but that helps the person that you're sharing it with have a desire to grow as well. Like, I love when my wife shares with me what she's learning in the Gospel of John. Like, she's in Bible study fellowship, they're going through John, and she's learning all kinds of things, and she's sharing that with me. That does something in me. That creates a desire and a longing for me to get into the Bible, for me to immerse myself in the book. So I just want to encourage you to, if, if we really do talk about that which we love, then find the people in your life, find that community that you have and share what you're learning in the Bible, not to flaunt your knowledge, but to, but to kind of brag on God and what you're learning in his word in order to spur someone else on. But there's a real battle that we must engage with in order to fight for our affections and our longings for the Bible. And I also just want to say this is not an equation to follow. This isn't A plus B equals C and boom, you'll have desires and longings for God. But these are just some helpful things that I've done in my own life. But the most important thing to do is to get on your knees and pray. That the more that you're crying out to God, God, give me cravings for you. God, give me longings for you. God will meet you there. Maybe not instantly, but over time, God will meet you and give you those desires because he wants you to crave him. He's not holding those desires back. And so bottom line, make sure that you're praying and that you're crying out to him to give you those longings for the spiritual word. And then the last word here, grow. Number three is grow. So Peter not only says to taste the goodness of God, not only to long for the spiritual milk, but he says also to grow up into salvation. Verse two says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you might grow up into salvation. Now, Peter shows us that to be spiritually nourished and to mature, we taste God's goodness and we long for the word. And as we're longing for the word, we're allowing the word to be digested into our souls so that we're living it out in obedience. I think one of the most destructive habits in, in our spiritual lives, in our relationship with God, is something that, that I call spiritual bulimia. And we know that bulimia is just a, a very serious and devastating eating disorder that's characterized by, by just overeating, overconsuming food, and then self-induced vomiting. It's a horrible thing. And I don't have experience physically with that, but spiritual bulimia, I have struggled with all my life especially in seminary or in college. Like I'm learning so much about the Bible, learning so much about God, and yet I fell into becoming spiritually bulimic because before I allowed the word of God to be digested into my soul and and lived out in obedience, I would sometimes just vomit that truth up 
up on other people just to show them how much I know about the Bible. And it's a sick habit in the spiritual life. It stunted some of my growth spiritually because I didn't allow the word to be digested deep into my soul to change me and to grow me up into salvation. Can you resonate with that at all this morning? Of being so filled with with head knowledge that it hasn't quite become heart knowledge and, and feet knowledge where you're living it out and you're growing up into salvation and obeying the word of God. I, I absolutely love this church. I love this congregation. I love our core values. I love how, how Bible-centric that we are. I mean, one of our core values is the authority of the word. And yet one of the dangers that we need to be mindful of is spiritual bulimia in in our church where we consume so much Bible, but we don't allow it to be digested into our souls to impact our affection and our desires that causes us to actually live it out in obedience. And so the picture that, that Peter gives us here is one that's tasting God's goodness and it's longing for the word and feeding ourselves, digesting it so that we're growing up and we're actually obeying the word. And so I don't know where you are this morning. I don't, I don't know where the word finds you today, but, but as we look to conclude this morning, I just want to ask you, what, what kind of church attender do you want to be this year in 2017? That Do you want to be the, the type of church attender that, that walks in here week in and week out more out of habit or guilt and you really don't see much change or transformation, or do you want to be the type of church attender that walks in here week in and week out and is dedicated to growing and changing and being transformed because you're tasting God's goodness, you're longing for the word, and you're obeying it as you grow up in your salvation? See, the picture here, it's not just growing up and and obeying with, with the big moments in your life but it's actually obeying God's word with the 10,000 opportunities that you and I have every single day to choose God, to obey God, and to grow up and apply the word in our lives. And so as we close this morning, we have um, one more song to sing. And this song is called, Lord, I Need You. And it is so fitting because as we talk about like what it means to grow what it means to to obey the word. We can't do this on our own. Like we need God's grace, we need God's power, we need the Holy Spirit within us to help us to mature and to grow up into salvation. And I just want to challenge you that as we sing this last song, just to ask God, God, what is one area that you want me to grow in this year? What is one area of my life? Maybe it's my prayer life. Maybe it's my time in the word. Maybe Maybe it's in evangelism. Maybe it's an aspect of my marriage or purity or maybe one of the five vices in verse one that you want to change or grow in, but what's one area that you feel like the Lord is leading you to spend more attention on so that you can grow up in salvation? I just want to encourage you to write that down during this last song and to actually be specific. So um, if you're thinking about the Lord wants you to grow in your prayer life, don't just put prayer life but say, I want to pray for three minutes a day for five days a week. And that's my goal. That's my commitment for 2017. Just be, be specific as you commit one area of your life for growth 
uh, this year. And we'll sing this last song after I pray and, uh, and commit it to God. So let me pray and we'll stand and sing. God, we thank you for the power of your word. God, we thank you for the way that it is living, the way that it is active, the way that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we thank you for the vision that Peter gives to us of, of growing in our spiritual maturity. And God, we just confess our great need for you, God. Lord, we need you to help us to grow, to take steps so we look more and more like Jesus. And so God, I pray specifically for those who are here today and that they are tempted to be motivated out of guilt rather than desire for you. Lord, I pray that you would meet them there and that you would give them a longing for you. And so God, help us to obey the word as we look to commit an area of our life to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.